0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. Right here at the beginning, we've just got two huge ideas to explore today. And the first one is this We must live purposefully. Would you say that out loud with me this morning? We must live purposefully. And not just have a purpose. When we say we must live purposefully, it doesn't mean you should just believe in something, you should have some sort of a purpose. It's Jesus' purpose. This idea of living purposefully shines through all the stories that Jesus told. And he makes it very clear in all of his teaching that his followers live for him. And as they live for him, they live like him and become more and more like him along the way. We have this collective purpose. We have this thing that's for all of us. And then he also gives us individual purposes We learn from outside of the parables, other parts of the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit of God himself gives each one of us specific gifts that work in specific ways, but they're designed to harmonize. They're designed to work together. We become what the Bible calls the body of Christ. We work as a unit using all these individual purposes. So let, let me say this again as clearly as I can. The individual purposes that God gives each one of us are never selfish. They're never self-idolatrous. They're always selfless. They're always focused on God and others, even the ones that are individual. Jesus was always pointing this out. Here's one more story that he told. It's in Luke 18. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Notice he's not a fan of self idolatry two men went to the temple to pray Jesus said one was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer I thank you God that I am not like other people cheaters, sinners adulterers I'm certainly not like that tax collector can you believe that like pointing out somebody in the room I fast twice a week And I give you a tenth of my income. One more time, let me remind you, as you read through these parables, Jesus told, always start with the big thing that's obvious, what he's trying to say. Don't read too much into it. There's layers of truth, there always is. But don't misunderstand this, that Jesus doesn't like fasting, or that Jesus doesn't like tithing. That's not the point he's making here. He's making a point against the Pharisee finding his own self-worth in the fact that he does these very private, very personal, just between me and God kind of spiritual disciplines and never, never actually connects with God's heart. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? Okay, let's keep going. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home, justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And remember, to be justified before God means to be declared righteous in his sight. It means that God himself says, okay, you get another Reboot. You get another chance. Uh, right, Right here I'm wiping your slate clean. And that only happens for all of us because of the cross and the empty tomb on the other side of that. We never find our righteousness in the things that we do. We get to do the things we do because he gives us righteousness in the first place. But some of these ideas, uh, these ideas of us submitting everything, of us getting lost in a bigger story, of us submitting our own dreams and our own aspirations and our own stories and our own everything, our own desires, our own everything that is, makes us us in our, our minds. Sometimes that is so hard for us to surrender, isn't it? Part of that is because our culture, just like every other culture, If you're watching on the internet somewhere, I don't know what country you may be in. We're Americans, so I'm picking on Americans because this is where we live. But we tell this story. We tell a lie to each other, not only with words, but with lots and lots and lots of stories. And we even tell them to our kids. And the lie is that you and your ideas and your dreams are the most important thing. And the only way to happiness and the villains in your life are anybody who try to shut you down. Anybody who says that your choices are wrong, they're a villain. For example, The Little Mermaid. Did you ever show that to your kids? Ever watched this when you were a kid? I'm not talking about the original one. The Hans Christian Andersen fable that he created. His basic moral of his story was stay in your lane and never, ever, ever mess with witches. She dies at the end of that one. It's a, it's a, it's a harsh story. But the one that we all know, Ariel, doesn't want to be a mermaid. She wants to be a person. She falls in love with a human. And she goes against her dad and everything else. She trades everything in her life for that. And who's the villain of the story? Her dad, who loves her and knows what's best. And how does he finally repent? He finally just says, hey, whatever you want, I'm in favor of it. Go for it. And how does she get there? She pays a huge price to a witch. And it all turns out wonderfully. She gets the guy. She's happy. They all live happily ever after. Her dad finally repents of trying to squash her dreams. And everything's wonderful. How dare you show that stuff to your kids? (laughs) Because here's what Jesus said. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it to be fair i like that movie okay but do you see the lie okay. i'm going to give you guys some homework this morning i would love it's always as always my dream is that you take the sermon outline, the growth questions, you take these home. You actually use these as a Bible study. You revisit these. You give the Holy Spirit a chance to take you even deeper into all of these ideas. All of these that I'm going to highlight are in this. But I would uh, there's several things I'm going to point out. I, I, I'd love for you to read a whole chapter at a time. One of those is Matthew 21. Can you say Matthew 21 out loud? Matthew 21 is all about purpose. And we see it not only in the stories Jesus tells in that chapter, but also how he lives out his story in this chapter. Matthew 21 opens with the story of the triumphal entry, what we celebrate at Palm Sunday every year. And this is Jesus declaring his purpose. He's riding into town saying, I am the Messiah, and here it comes. This week is when I actually save the world. This is it. Everybody watching? All eyes on me. Here we go. That's Jesus at the beginning of 20, chapter 21. Next thing he does, he gets off the donkey. He clears the temple. Why? Because he's reclaiming the purpose of the temple. Not only had they turned it into what Jesus himself called a den of thieves or a den of robbers. They were cheating people there. But the part of the temple, the place in the temple that they were using for that was the, the um, hall of the Gentiles. It was the only place that was safe for people who were not God's people yet to come and to watch and to be invited to hear about God, to watch worship of God, to hear the Psalms like what Josh read this morning, uh, to, to be part of it. And they were excluding them so completely that that wasn't even a factor anymore. In fact, that's where they were doing this. So Jesus reclaims the purpose of the temple. As he's walking back and forth every day with his disciples, he does this really crazy thing that is kind of a visual illustration. He goes up to a fig tree that isn't bearing fruit. And he says, may you never bear fruit again. And as they go by every day, they realize this thing is just withering away. Just Jesus telling it to wither. Again, because the purpose of a fig tree is to grow figs. Everything is about purpose. And then he tells a story. Of course, he always tells stories when he really wants to make a point. So he tells a story about a man with two sons, and he asks for help from both of them. And the one son says, absolutely, I'll help you. I'll, I'll be right there with you, Dad. And the other one says, no, I, I'm just not feeling it today. But as the day goes by, the one who said he would help decides not to. And the one who said he would not actually changes his mind and goes out and works all day with his dad. And then Jesus asked the people that were listening, so which one of them did his father's will? Which one accomplished his father's purpose? It's an easy answer. And they got it right. I'm sure you can too. It was the one who actually did his father's will. He didn't say he would. He actually did it. And then Jesus tells this story. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 33. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower there's so many cool clues in here that he's pointing back to the Jewish people pointing back to God's people throughout time one of those I believe personally I'm not sure because Jesus doesn't identify this part when he explains this (laughs) but when he's talking about the tower that was such a big deal Ezekiel 3 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible he talks about being the watchman on the wall and that was actually in that that same idea was in the psalm that Josh read this morning. It's pretty cool, but I love that. But anyhow, he builds the uh, back in the story. He built a lookout tower and then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. And so the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. And finally, the owner sent his son thinking, surely they will respect my son. Now, here's a second little homework thing to highlight. Two chapters at once, right next to each other. Hebrews 11 and 12. These kind of give a quick rundown of some of the great stories of the Old Testament and the heroes that Jesus would have been taught about as a child. Even though he already had a pretty cool perspective of his own on it, as he's experienced life as a human, he would have been taught these stories. And he, these are the ones he's referencing. People who gave their lives, people who were stoned or killed in other ways because they were representing God to his people. And of course, the son represents him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. And so they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. Once again, we see what happens when we let our purposes define our actions. Instead of being caught up into God's purposes and what He calls all of us and each of us to do, when we make it our business to just do what we want, It derails every single time. Jesus continues. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. And then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? By the way, what he's quoting here is Psalm 118. 22 to 23, one of the most often quoted passages in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament passage that several New Testament authors quote. But Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's wonderful to see. And then Jesus himself says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper Because he's not interested just in our genetics. Are we we just somehow the physical descendants of Abraham? He wants us, he always wanted all of his people everywhere... ...to welcome more and more people into his family, into his people. That's still his dream. That's still what he wants. But he wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to live purposefully. Sidney J. Harris said the whole purpose of education... It's to turn mirrors into windows. I'm going to let that sink for a second and say it one more time. This is way, way cool. The whole purpose of education is to turn mirrors, as in all the things that help us look at ourselves, into windows. Things that help us focus on God and others. And for those of you who are watching online, I keep going like this. You don't see what's up there. But in this room, always behind this stage is a banner that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that Jesus taught us was that that was the kind of purposes he wanted us to have. At the beginning of this series, I told you that the title, Stories Like That, came from a Rich Mullins song. It's okay, I'd like to sing that for you this morning. This is a wonderful song. And it, it's the best way I know how to uh, just express this huge idea. And it's simply this. As we interact with Jesus, not just the stories he told, but the story of his life, who he was, who he still is, but how he lived On this earth, as we interact with that, as we use our imaginations, as we try our best to to copy that, the dream is that we become more and more like Him. The dream is that we're transformed to not only live for Him, but to be like Him. I was a baby like I was once, crying in the early morning. You were born in a stable, Lord. Read memorials where I was born. They wrapped you in swaddling clothes. Me, they dressed in baby blue. And I was 12 years old in the meeting house. Listen to the old men pray. I was trying hard to figure out what it was they was trying to say. And there you were in the temple. said you wanted enough to know the things you knew. Did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? Did you wonder what it was that made them laugh? Did they tell you stories about the saints of old, stories about their faith? They say stories like that make a boy grow bold, stories like that make a man walk straight. You was a boy like I was once, or was you a boy like me? Because I grew up around Indiana, you grew up around Galilee. And if I ever really do grow up, Lord, I want to grow up and be just like you. Did you wrestle with a dog and lick his nose? Did you play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? And did they tell you stories about the saints of old? Stories about their faith? They say stories like that make a boy grow bold. Stories like that make a man walk straight. Scared playing hide and seek? Did you cry? Not to, did you try not to cry when you scraped your knee? Did you ever skip a rock across a quiet creek? Did they tell you stories about the saints of old? Stories about their faith? They say stories like that make a boy grow bold, stories like that make a man walk straight. I wanna be like you Here's where it all comes down. All these things we've been exploring this whole summer together, all these stories that Jesus told, all these invitations to join his larger story, it all comes down to this. We must serve faithfully. We've got to stay at it. We can't be like that first son who says we're going to do it, and then we don't. We've got to be like, well, it'd be better to be like the first son and say we will, but then follow through. If anything, we need to be like the second son. Maybe we mess it at first, but then we come back around and we get it right. But we need to serve faithfully. Would you say that out loud with me? We must serve faithfully. And when we fully commit to Jesus, when we find our purpose in him, we find so much more. We find unity in our shared purpose. We find joy and fulfillment in ways that our own petty dreams and ideas never could give us, even if we accomplish them. And when we work together, when we daily choose to accomplish his will, and make that the priority of our lives, we experience life as it was meant to be lived. One more homework, whole chapter, Matthew 13. Everybody say Matthew 13. Thank you. Hopefully you go back and actually read that later. But let me summarize for you. These are several of the stories we've already looked at and one more we haven't yet. One is the parable of the sower. Clearly the core meaning of that one is that we're supposed to produce fruit. Does this sound familiar? Remember this one? It's all in the same chapter. Then we have the twin stories of the mustard seed and the yeast. Both of which talk about persistence. But also the idea that the fruit that God puts in us, the fruit that God wants to produce in us actually makes the world a better place. Just like yeast produces bread and a little mustard seed produces a tree that gives people shelter and shade it's a, and, and mustard. I mean, that's a good thing too, right? I like mustard. And then we've got the stories of the treasure and the stories of the pearl where people understand, they count the cost like we explored last week. They count the cost, they realize this is worth more than everything else in my life put together. This is everything. This is more than everything. And they trade everything for it. Same chapter. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and tie them into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. This is such a cool and profound and simple story. I've heard it unpacked in several different ways. I myself have unpacked it in several different ways, and I think there's several ways you could apply this, several really cool truths. But again, thankfully, this is one of the ones that Jesus himself explained. He tells us exactly what he means by it, just a few verses later. Let's check what out. Check out what He said. Then, leaving the crowds aside I'm sorry, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. Notice all the imagery is different than the parable of the sower. Okay, he explained that one too. The sower was anyone who says the good news and the seed was the word of God. It's different here. So pay attention. The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. Again, I've heard this applied to the church. I've heard this so many different ways. But Jesus himself says, "In what he means by the story is it's the world. God puts us, his people, into the world. It's God himself who places his people in the world. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil. I'm sorry. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people in the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. In case they didn't, he told another really quick story right after that about the net. He said that that day when he comes back, it's going the end of the world is going to be like a fisherman who's fishing with a net, and they keep some of the fish and throw some out. So, what's he trying to tell us? Our job in the world is not to uproot everybody else. Our job is to be the wheat, to produce the fruit. Our job is not to kick all of the scrawny fish out of the net as we're being caught. Our job is to be the good fish. And we trust him to sort it all out at the end. And the amazing, beautiful thing in addition to all of this is that God himself has the power to transform weeds into wheat. We don't, but God does. And he has the power to transform a bad fish into a good fish. We don't. But God does. And us doing our job is exactly what makes it possible for him to do his. Do you understand all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they said we do. And then he added, and I just love that he adds this. Because he's all the time picking on the religious leaders. But he didn't hate them. He reveals his heart and his dream for them here. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. It's like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as the old. They're invited too. The most messed up people. The most self-righteous people. The most legally perfect but totally in- inwardly corrupt. The most just vile and evil people that you can imagine. Everybody is welcome to join the kingdom of God. But we all have to surrender everything. We all have to let his purposes drive our life. And we have to serve faithfully. Well, one more time, not forever, but for a while. I've got to refer to Tolkien one more time. You guys ready? Here we go. Tolkien and the, Le- and the Inklings, they understood that living purposefully meant commitment. And it meant teamwork. And it meant relentless faithfulness. And that's why for 30 years... They met every single week and worked together. And that's why their body of work still stands the tests of time. And in the Fellowship of the Ring, again, the story of the fellowship itself is, is about this idea. This incredibly diverse group of people came together because of a shared purpose. Every single one of their contributions mattered. Every single thing each one of them brought to the table, their own backstory, their own weaknesses and strengths, everything mattered, but this, their success was not because they all experienced a boost in their self-esteem or, or because they got self-actualized. It was because they all surrendered all of that to one single shared purpose. And together they accomplished what they were designed to do a great example of how they were changed is the dwarf Gimli and the elf Legolas Gimli at the beginning of the story is a bold mighty warrior with so much potential but he was racist he hated elves and he has to be on a team with an elf then you got Legolas who's also a mighty warrior but he's also racist he doesn't like dwarves They had to work together, and over the course of the story, they grew to grudgingly respect each other, grudgingly work together, and eventually became fast friends. Uh, Toward the end, there's a a wonderful uh, conversation. I'm paraphrasing a little bit just to get to the next thing as we wrap up here. But basically, Gimli, they both think they're going to die in this battle, and Gimli says, I never thought that I would die fighting side by side with an elf. And Legolas says... How about side-by-side side with a friend? And he says, I, I could do that. And in that moment, you realize they've thrown all that junk and stupidness away. They've been transformed. And that's the hope for all of us. Because as we give up our own stories, we get the chance to be drawn into the bigger story. Would you watch this clip? Then we'll wrap up together this morning.
1: I can't do this, um... I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Farrell. And it's worth fighting for.
0: This morning, like every single Sunday, we're going to play a song. I invite you to stand and sing. I invite you to make some sort of a choice in the direction of God and in the direction of the things we're talking about. This morning, I invite you, please, if God is moving in you, act on that tangibly. If if you realize that you've never completely given the purposes of your own heart over to God and surrendered to his purposes, today is your day. Give your life to him. Maybe you've been running from him for a while. Maybe you've just taken back some of the things. So you're you're just not giving him everything. You're ready to give it back. Maybe you'd like to make a formal commitment to to join this particular part of the body of Christ in a more tangible way. Maybe there's something you need prayer for. I don't know, but I'm inviting you to make that choice this morning. But every single one of us, listen, this is the invitation. Join the big story. Let your little story that you thought was going to be everything blend into the big story. Because it's a great story. And it is the story, whether you like it or not. Whether you understand it or believe it or not. It's the story. And we're invited to become part of that, to play a real part. Let's do that as we stand and sing.